Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. While you're doing that, just a quick recap of where we are because we're kind of in the middle of, of an argument that Paul is making. If you remember, he starts out this book saying to the Galatians, like, what are you doing? You understood when I was there, Paul planted these churches a few years before he's writing this letter. You understood that you are saved by faith in Christ, that Christ died for you, God raised him from the dead for you. That, that's all, that's what you need, that's it. That's the foundation, you understood that. Now it seems there are some guys who come into the church who are telling people, ah, Paul didn't tell you the whole story, right? I mean, everything he told you is true, absolutely, but there's more. He didn't tell you about the prerequisites. You have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. You know, you gotta get a college degree before you can get a PhD. There's just ways you gotta do these things. He's, they, they're coming in and they're saying, look, you need, you need to do these other things. You need to add these things. And Paul's apoplectic at some points in this letter on no, no, you don't. And he's made examples from his own life. He's made examples from them and their lives. He's, he's arguing for scripture. And now we're in this section that began back in verse 15 of chapter three. He said, let's take an example from everyday life. Let's just talk about the way things work in the real world. And he talked about, we would say contracts versus promises. Agreements where you, you agree this and I agree this and we sign it and I'll do this and you'll do this. And, and if one of us doesn't keep our end of the bargain, then the contract's over. If I don't do what I say, then you don't have to do what you say. Or he said, contrast that with promises. If you promise to do something, then you have to do it. It doesn't matter what the other guy does. It has nothing to do with them. It's you. you, you made the promise. And Paul says that's how God deals with us. He deals with us with promises. So the obvious question that should leap into everyone's mind at this point is, well then why did God give us the law? Like what in the, why did God add a bunch of rules? If that's not how he deals with people, if that's not what he wants, why did he do it? And so that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna answer that question today. So we're actually gonna back up a little bit from we're gonna go over a little we did last week. You remember last week I told you when we read the parts about you know the law was added for these things. I'm like, just hang on to that for a week, we'll get to it. We're gonna pick that back up. So I'm gonna start in verse 19 where Paul asks this question for them, this obvious question that's on everybody's mind. What in the world, why would God make all these rules then? And we're gonna read down through chapter four, verse 11. So follow along with me, Galatians chapter three, starting in verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one person, but God is one. If, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There, there is, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is underage, He's really no different from a slave, even though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. 
So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather, you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So why these rules? And Paul tosses out some, some answers along the way. He says, oh, the law was given because of transgressions. But then he goes on with to keep up with his argument he's making until Jesus would come because we're not under these contracts. We've got mediators and all these other things. We're under promise. And then, okay, so then the law and the, the promises, they're opposite each other? No, no, not at all, Paul says. The law got added because the law can't give you life. The law can't make you good. And we all know that. We all know that following laws doesn't make us good. I am willing to bet everyone in this room can think of any number of rules and regulations that they have to, to do and abide by that they think are completely stupid. That they only do it because they have to, and when they can get away with it, they don't do it. Having rules doesn't make us good. It doesn't make us righteous. Again, this is an example from everyday life, Paul says. We all get that. Scripture, he says in verse 22, it locked everything under the control of sin. But he doesn't explain what he means by that. He just, again, goes on to talk about faith. He'll say it again in verse 23. Before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And now, finally, he explains what he means by that. What do you mean that the law locks us up? What do you mean the law is there because of sin? He says in verse 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, in our world, guardian's a general term. You have a guardian for all sorts of stuff. You have a guardian for a person, for a, a company, for a piece of land. He's using a very specific word. We, we, the closest thing we have to it in our, our world is like a governess. Have you ever read those old stories like Jane Eyre or, or, or stories by, by Jane Austen? You know, the, the kids have a governess. And she's this mean lady who cracks the whip on them and makes sure they do everything they're supposed to do. And, and you know, it's almost a trope in literature now, the, the mean governess who takes care of you and nobody likes her. Paul's using their version of that. It's this very particular person in this world. It's generally a slave in the household who's put in charge of the boys until they come of legal age, which is uh, 16, 17, 18 years old. Depends on where you are in the Roman Empire. And this slave, again, although he's a slave, he has complete authority over these kids' lives. His job is to make them into good men. For whatever it is they're supposed to do. If their dad's a lawyer, then presumably they're going to take over their dad's law practice. So he's making them into good men to be lawyers. If their dad's a baker, he's making them into good men to be bakers. But his job is to mature them and make them good, solid citizens of the Roman world. And these guys believe firmly in the beatings will continue until morale improves. So the story, anybody who's a writer in, in the Roman Empire, 
they had one of these guys. And the stories they tell about them are, are just amazing. The, these, there's one guy talks about how he's in a, he's in a bar one. He's a famous Rome, Roman poet talking about he's sitting in a bar one day and there's these underage kids, so they're probably 15, 16 years old, and they're drinking. And one of these slaves comes in. The kid, your Bible might say tutor or something like that. It's actually called a pedagogos, which is where we get our word pedagogy from in English. It literally means the child leader. This slave comes in. He's this old guy, which means he's my age. He's 50. He's walking with a cane, right? You've got these four or five 15-year-old boys sitting there. And the slave comes up to him, and he picks up his cane, and he just starts beating on this kid. And his friends jump up to help him, but they're all half drunk. And he just beats them senseless with this cane, grabs the kid. Remember, he's a slave. This is the owner's son, grabs him by the ear and drags him out of the bar, yelling back to the bar, the tavern owner, to call the police and send these other kids to the, the hangman, basically, because they shouldn't be taking up air that good citizens need to breathe. And the, the, the Roman poet, the guy who's writing this memoir, comment, his comment to this is, all young boys are terrified of their tutors because they can do anything they want to you. If, if you're out drinking, you're, you're shaming your family, you're wasting the money, they just beat you. They beat you and drag you home. And when you get home, dad will be like, yeah, good thing he did that to you. If I'd caught you, it'd have been worse. Like These people are terrified of their tutors when they're young men. Because the tutor had two jobs. His one job was to protect you protect you from all those terrible influences like bars and things like that, make you a good upstanding citizen. And his other job was to train you so you would become a good upstanding citizen. He, he taught you, if you're familiar with St. Augustine, he lived 300 years after Paul. He had a tutor who was teaching him Greek. Augustine hated Greek, despised Greek all his life because his tutor just beat him. He, he didn't do very well at it. And his tutor, you know, every time he got a word wrong or he translated something wrong, his tutor would just whip him. And he, he, t he talks about this in his memoirs, how much he regrets that he never really got good at Greek. And so he couldn't read the Greek scriptures as well as he wanted, but he just couldn't bring himself to learn it because he hated his tutor so much. Like Paul says that's the law. It protects us and it trains us and wow, it did it with a blunt instrument. And, and the law really does. I mean, you think about all of the laws that train you on righteousness and, and, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, don't do all these things. We would agree with all those. All this moral law, like, this is what it means to live well. Don't do these things, do those things. But then think about all the laws, like, this is how you had to dress. This is what you could and could not eat. This is what you could and could not plant. These times of years, you had to do all these things. Although, if you actually practiced those as a Jew, then it, it kept you away from any, all the neighbors around you, any non-Jewish people and the neighbors around you. How are you going to do business with them or interact with them if you couldn't wear these clothes and you couldn't do farm like they farm and you couldn't do business like they do business and you couldn't eat like they eat? It protected you. Think about the Amish today. They have similar rules that keep outsiders out and keep the influence of outsiders out. 
You know, I, I, I don't think the Amish think that their particular way of dressing is godly. It's just they don't want you to start dressing like the people out there because then you'll start acting like them. They want you to be separate. But Paul says the law did that. It, it, it kept us separate. It kept us away from the world. And it trained us. It trained us with the moral law, but also, and Paul doesn't make the argument here, but he makes it in Romans and the writer of Hebrew makes it. If you try and follow all the laws, you quickly discover that you're doomed. You can't do it. Imagine if every time you realize you'd made a mistake, okay, you had to go sacrifice an animal. Like that cost you whatever it costs. What does a cow cost? I don't think they're cheap. Every time you realized, oh, I made a mistake. It cost you tremendously. Have you ever read, it, it, uh, every 20 years or so, someone hits upon the brilliant idea of, oh, I'll try and live like the Old Testament says. The year of living biblically. And, and, and they're, very, they're very funny. Because all of them, whatever, whoever's doing it, whether they're really serious about it or whether they're trying to make fun of it, whatever they're doing, in the first chapter, they always say the same thing. Well, you know, in our modern society, it's not possible to actually live this out. So then they cherry pick the ones they want. So I decided to live by the dietary laws and the clothing laws. Because you can't live out the law. You can't do it. No one says, well, it's not possible to kill a cow anymore when I did something wrong. So I looked up the price of a cow on a stock exchange. And every time I did something wrong, I gave away $1,000. You cannot live like that because you will bankrupt yourself in a month. Nobody who tries to live biblically and follow the law for their book ever gets beyond the first chapter. Now, you know, of course, they have to write a book. So they, they just pull some out and say, okay, well, I'll follow these. If you follow the law, the law trains you that you're not very good and that you're not good at following laws. If you will follow the law, the law leads you to understand that what you need is mercy. So King David King David, who was a very righteous, law-abiding guy, right? When he commits adultery and he gets caught, he doesn't go to the temple and sacrifice a cow. He doesn't go to the temple and say, okay, yep, you're right, that's wrong, the law says not to do that, and I did it, so here's my cow. He doesn't sacrifice a thousand cows. He goes and he falls prostrate before the altar and he begs God for mercy because he knows that no cow is going to solve this problem. He knows that he has intentionally done what is wrong and that there's, there's nothing to do about that but ask for mercy. Paul says the law, the law was our trainer. It was our tutor. It was our guardian. It was in, in, in his world, it was our governess. It was that terribly mean, harsh person who kept us safe from the outside world and all that it tried to harm us and who tried to teach us what it meant to, to be, in, in their case, good Roman citizens. In, in, in the case of, of believers, right, of people who follow God well. Paul says that's what the law was. And then he says this in 25. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. And you see what he's, he's saying to these folks. He's, he's kind of winding down this part of his argument of these guys saying, oh, no, no, you need to go back to the Old Testament law. And Paul's saying to them, because probably many of the guys in the church had this sort of governess, guardian, growing up. They certainly saw them dragging people around the town. They knew what these guys were like. 
Paul's like, seriously, you want to go back to that? You want to go back to having a guardian? That's what the law is. That's what you're saying. Oh, yes, I need to add this to my life. It's like, you're going to go backwards and live like that again. I mean, I would imagine Paul's readers kind of being like, oh, my gosh, no. Who in the world would want that? And then he reiterates after that in 26 and on down. He's going back to his same argument again. In Christ Jesus, you're children of God through faith. It doesn't matter where you came from. You know, the guy's saying, oh, no, first, first you need to become, so you're Gentiles, then you need to become Jews, and then you can become Christians. Paul's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a free. It, it doesn't matter. You're saved by faith in Christ. You're all equal. You're all one before God at this point. He's been saying that over and over again. And now, in chapter four, he picks up that exact same argument but now he's gonna broaden it, which is great because how many people here have ever thought to themselves, wow, you know, I really need to stop wearing polyester cotton blends because the law says you can't, you can't wear clothing that have two kinds of fabric in them. Like how many people have that, that's really been a concern for them? Yeah, exactly. We are not tempted to go back to the Old Testament law. Like that's just, that's just not a temptation for us in our world. For some of these folks it was, and I imagine for some of them it wasn't. And Paul's not just concerned that they not go back and add circumcision to salvation. He's concerned that they not add anything. Wherever they came from, whatever was important to them before, Paul is concerned that they not bring that back in. And so he broadens his example. So he starts out with the exact same example. Look, this is what I'm saying. As long as the heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Remember, he's under a slave. And then when he becomes heir, he'll be over the slave. But while he's a 12, 13-year-old kid, man, the slave can do whatever he wants with this guy. He's no better than the slave, even though one day he's going to own everything. It's the same story of this kid who's got a guardian. One day he'll inherit. One day he'll own the law practice. One day all those slaves will report to him. But right now, man, he's nobody because he's under age. He starts out with exactly the same example. But then listen to what he says in verse 3. So then also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Your Bible probably has a footnote next to elemental spiritual forces. And if you're reading a different version, I bet it says something different. There's three versions of the NIV from when the, you know, one that was made like when it was originally came out in, this, in 1973, one in 1984, one in 210 or, or 211 or something like that. Each one of them translates this differently, I think, because we don't have this word in English. We don't have anything like this word in English. Paul says literally, the word is the stoicheia. I'm going to tell you that because I'm going to use that as we go along. Paul says, you are in slavery to the stoicheia. A stoicheia means literally you, you march together. It, 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 you know, think of a group of soldiers and they're all walking. What are they doing? Right, left, right, left, right. They're all walking together. They use that term, the things that walk together, to mean the fundamental building blocks of anything in the world. So in physics, in their world, in physics, the stoicheia are what they thought the world was made of. Earth, water, air, and fire. That were the stoicheia of the world. In music, the stoicheia are notes. The individual sounds. Music is the sounds or the bass of music, and you put them all together to make chords and to make melodies and all those sorts of things. In geometry, if you remember having taken geometry, stoicheia are the givens. You know, given that line AB is parallel to line CD, then another line, the givens, the things we, okay, here's, here's how we're going to build this proof up. 
Those are the stoicheia. The stoicheia are whatever is at the bottom. Whatever it is that everything else is built on. The stoicheia are whatever the rules are that you've got to work with. In music, it's notes. You have to work with notes in music. That's the bottom. That's the base. Paul says, he doesn't say we were in slavery to the law, which is what he's been saying the whole time. Because if, you know, I mean, we know part of this church is Jewish and part's Gentile. None of the guys who weren't Jews, they weren't obeying the law before. He's broadening his argument. We were in slavery to the stoicheia, to whatever it is you think is at the bottom, the fundamental way that you have to live. Because we've all got it. Every single person on this planet has something deep in their soul, deep in their psyche that says, this is how you have to live. This is what you have to do. This is what it takes to get along in life. Now, every religion, other than Christianity, which has faith, has it. You know, Buddhism has the four noble truths, right? If you follow the four noble truths, which leads you to the eightfold way, then you'll get along. That's how you get along in life. Islam has five pillars. Judaism has the law, the Ten Commandments. Everything has got stoicheia, the, the rules. This is at the bottom. You've got to do this. If you don't do this, forget it. It's not going to work. Your life is not going to work. Paul says we all have those. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, whatever it is. We all have something, and it's still true, something deep, deep in our souls, deep in our psyches that says, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. If I don't do this, then life doesn't work. Paul says we were enslaved to those. Because, of course, if you've got to do it, you've got to do it. It's, it's your master. Something in you that says, I've got to have this job. I've got to go to school. I've got to have this relationship. Something deep inside you that says, I've got to take care of myself. No one else will. Something that's, that fear, some fear in you that has to be met. That's your master. It rules you. Paul says we all have these. But when the time came, and then he repeats the same thing he says all along. Jesus has come. He has died for us. He has been risen from the dead. He's redeemed us. We're not enslaved to those things anymore. We're sons of the living God. We're adopted to sonship. Again, another really specific word in his term. It's an actual legal process by where, you know, the guy says, okay, you are now my legal heir. It's what all the Caesars did. Like you almost never had one Caesar in the Roman Empire take his actual son they found somebody that would be a good emperor and they adopted him to sonship so that he became the next emperor. It's like, it says, that's what God's done to you. He's God and he's chosen you. He's made you his heir. And then he picks it back up again in verse eight. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. You were enslaved to something in you that said, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. If you don't get this, if you don't have this, if this doesn't work, your life isn't gonna happen. It's not gonna work. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul says to them, he says to us, we all have something deep within us that we say, this has to happen, I have to have this, I have to do this. And it's a lie. It's a total lie. You don't have to anymore. I want you to imagine, you get a job, 
right? You come, you go to your, you go to your orientation, right? They're like, okay, here's your, you know, here's your desk and here, here's your computer and here's our company policies and all those things, right? Here's your salary. Here's how often we pay you. Here's your job description. Everywhere on the planet, you have to meet the job description to get paid. You gotta show up and do the work to get paid. It's a contract. It's an agreement. If you will do this work, if you will show up to this place, then we will pay you. You will have a job. It's just like what he said to me. It's an agreement. And Christianity says, here's your desk. Here's your computer. Here's your salary. Here's your job description. We pay you every two weeks. We will always pay you every two weeks. You will always have a job here. There's nothing you can do. You can never be fired, ever. You will never not be paid. Whether you show up or not, you will be paid. You are an employee of this company forever. Whether you do your job or not, you will be paid. You never have to worry about having a job. You always have a job. That will never, ever change. We would love it if you would come. (laughs) We think you will enjoy it if you will come. If you don't come, you're not going to get to meet your coworkers. You're not going to enjoy the community and the relationship that you get from working with people. But it won't won't change your job. You'll still get paid. You'll still have a job. That will never change. Here's what what our company's doing. We would love you to be part of that. We, we, We think you fit in well. We would love. Here's your job description. We would love for you to do this. We think you would enjoy doing it. But it won't affect your won't affect your job. Whether you do it or not, you will always have a job here. Now, you know, if you don't show up and you're not part of it, then you're gonna miss out on things. You know, Friday afternoons, once we finish a project, we all go out for dinner together. If you don't show up and work on the project, then you're not gonna go out, you're not gonna get to go out to dinner with us. But you always have a job. You always, always will get paid. You never need to worry about whether you're going to get paid. You never need to worry about whether you can take care of your family. You never need to worry about whether you're going to have money to pay your bills. You will. You will never be fired. There's, if you never show up ever in the office and never do any of these job descriptions, you always have a job here. Now that's nuts. Who would run a company that way? And Paul says that is how God runs his world. Promises, not contracts not agreements not you do this and then i'll give you this not well if you show up then you'll you know then you'll have a job if you do the job descriptions then i'll pay you no you have a job you're gonna be paid that will never change paul says all of us deep inside we've got something that tells us oh you gotta do this if you don't do this you're in trouble And Paul says to the Galatians, and he says this, he says to the Jewish Galatians who are trying to go back to the law, he says to the Gentile Galatians, he says, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. It's like, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do anything to get God to love you. You don't have to do anything to stay in his good graces. God made a promise. You don't have to do anything to get your sin taken care of. You are, as he says earlier, you're clothed in Christ. It's done. When God sees you, there's no sin. You're Jesus as far as he's concerned. You're perfect. You never messed up ever. You are clothed in Christ. Nothing will ever change that. Jesus has died. God has brought him back to life. It wasn't us. It wasn't them. It hasn't been anybody. 
It's God. And Paul says, don't be enslaved again. Don't believe those people who are telling you, well, you know, sure, God promises he'll take care of you, but, but really you need to do this. Sure, you know that God says he's working things out. The whole world, he is bringing everything together under the feet of Christ. Doesn't look like it lots of times. But you know he's promised that. It's not a contract. It's not if you keep up your end of the bargain, I'll work out history so everything's okay. It's I will do this. I am working out history. I'm bringing everything together. One day everything will be set right. Everything will be made good. There's nothing you have to do to make that happen. He has promised. Paul says to them, what Paul says to us, don't be enslaved. Don't go back. Those voices, you know, whether it's guys who have come from somewhere else saying to these guys, oh, you've got to follow the Jewish law, or it's something, you know, in your head or in your gut or whatever saying to you, oh, I've got to do that. I've got to have that. If I don't take care of that, then, oh, then, then, then it's all over. God's not going to love me. It's a lie. It's a total lie, Paul says. They're trying to enslave you again. Those things that you used to obey, they want you to obey them again. They like you obeying them. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to live knowing that God is in charge of the universe, that you can never be fired. You will always be paid. On the days when you show up and you do really well in your job description, great. That's wonderful. He's excited about that. We're all excited together about that. And on the days when you fail miserably, you can't even get out of bed, you do not show up at work, you do not do anything that you were supposed to do that day, it does not change even the tiniest bit of how much he loves you. It does not for one moment mean you are not his child. There is nothing you can do. I have three children. They will be my children for eternity. They are my children because they were born my children. Nothing will ever change that. There's nothing they could do that would ever change that. They are my children. God has made us his children. Nothing will ever change that, Paul says. Why? Why would you want to go back to being enslaved? What are your stoicheia? I mean, again, I don't think for anybody here it's the Jewish law. Maybe, but I doubt it. But it's something. For every single person on this planet, it's something something deep in our souls that says i gotta do this i gotta have this nothing works if this isn't true you know it may be fear it may be selfishness it may be any number of things there is something deep in your soul that says sure sure i know god loves me sure sure i know jesus saves me but what about this? What about this? And Paul says, wow, tell those voices to shut up. They don't know what they're talking about. You have been adopted as a child of God. God has made you promises. God made promises to Abraham 2,000 years before Christ. He is still fulfilling them and working them out. That will never change And God has made promises to us. And that will never change. He has never, never violated a promise. He never will. That is how he deals with us. Don't go back, Paul says. Don't be fooled. 
Don't think, sure, okay, I'm saved by Christ, but if I don't do this, I'm in trouble. It's a lie. It's a lie from something that wants to re-enslave you. Paul says, why would you want to go back? Those, those stoicheia, the way we all think the world is supposed to work. Paul says, why would you want to go back to those weak and miserable stoicheia? Why would you want to go back to this weak and miserable foundation for your life? When you have been adopted as a child of the Most High. And that will never change. You can't change that. Nor can anything else. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you cannot do. Because God has promised. It's, it's not a contract. It's not an agreement between you and God. Again, we want you to show up at work. Good stuff happens at work. If you show up at work, then there is some contract there. If you show up at work, you get to go out on Friday nights. Great, you ought to show up. But you always have a job. That will never change. You will always get paid. You never have to worry about whether you're going to get paid. You will. You never have to worry about whether God's going to take care of you. He will. He's promised. You never have to worry about what's going to happen to you after you die. Death couldn't hold Jesus. It can't hold you. God's promised. It has nothing to do with you. Paul says, why? Why would you go back? He says to the Galatians, the Greeks and the Gentiles, all of them. Why would you go back to living in that old base way you used to live that said, I gotta do this. Oh, if I don't do this, it all falls apart. I gotta have this. If I don't have this, my whole life falls apart. It's a lie. What are your stoicheia? What's the voice? Because it's different for all of us. What's the voices that talk to you that say, sure, sure, trust God, but. Sure, sure, Jesus has saved you. But when something says to you, oh, sure, God's promised, but, right, that's when you need to end the conversation because God has promised. Full stop, end of discussion. What are your stoicheia? What are those voices that say to you, well, sure, God says he'll take care of you, but really, this is what you got. Sure, God says he's working out everything. God says he has a plan. God says he is, he is in charge. God says he's sovereign over the whole universe. Nothing happens that he is not sovereign over. But you really need to do this. Don't listen to those voices Paul told the Galatians 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you today and tell myself today, don't listen to those voices. They're lies. They're lies trying to enslave us again. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that God's spirit will speak to us. What are the lies we listen to? What, what are the, the miserable, weak, pathetic old ways that we, the things we used to base our life on that we keep thinking, oh, I, I got to go, go back. I know Jesus saved me, but I'm going to ask God's spirit to speak to us. It, it, are, are we doing that? Are, are we hearing that? Are we listening to that? Are there conversations in our head we ought to be saying, uh, no, 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 stop, stop, done, uh-uh. Not, 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 not doing that, not going down that road. God has said this, end of discussion. That's where we're gonna rest. See if the Spirit says anything to you. you know, if there's any, anything you're listening to you shouldn't be, if there's, if there's any stoicheia in your life, anything that, that, that you think, oh, it's gotta be this way, that it doesn't. Jesus has saved you. Nothing will ever change that. He is at work in your life for good. Nothing will ever change that. You are going to be with him in his kingdom, whatever you do or don't do, nothing 
will ever change that. Are there any voices you need to stop listening to? Are there uh, any voices you need to start listening to? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I mean, really, you're nuts. You're nuts to run a company this way. You're, 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 every other religion on the planet says, look, if you do the, you know, you need to do this, and then you'll get that. If you do this, then, then, then that will happen. And you, you come along and say, I'm going to do this for you, no matter what you do. So, why don't you come do these things with me? I mean, you, that's crazy, Lord. None of us run our lives that way. Thank you. Thank you that, 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 that you are willing to treat us that way. You are willing to save us. As, as Paul would, would tell the Romans many years after this letter, that when we were your enemies, you died for us. Thank you. That, that you, you save us. Full stop. And then, and then you invite us to come be part of what you're doing. That is really really kind of you and I readily confess I turn those around all the time I turn those around all the time that, that, that I think well I'll come and do what you're doing and then if I do that then you'll save me then you'll do good for me then you'll love me and I'm sure my brothers and sisters do that as well Jesus I, I pray for us Holy Spirit speak to us you know, are, are there any stoicheia that we're listening to that we shouldn't be are there any of these old ways we used to live, these things we thought we had to do to get by in the world? Are any of those still talking to us? Are we listening to them? We don't want to, Lord. We want to listen to you. We want to believe your promises. We do not want to live as if this were a contract and we must keep up our side of the bargain. We want to live as if this were a promise. And we get to come be part of what you are doing because it is joyous. It is wonderful, but it's just an invitation. You have already saved us if we are your followers. Thank you. That is really, really kind of you. And so, Jesus, we pray all these things, asking you to be at work in us because, wow, we need it. We need to be reminded of what you have done for us. So we pray in your name, Lord, always. Amen. Now, let's do just that. Let's remind ourselves. We, we take... This, we call it a meal, a ceremonial meal, a, a bit of bread, a, a cup of drink. We take it to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. And again, what he did for us long before we were ever alive. He, he, didn't, he didn't look at us, you know, Jeff, oh, you're doing such a great job. Fine, I'll die for you. He died for me 2,000 years ago. Eventually, time caught up with that, and I believed in him. The, there are stations on all four corners there's one down here with gluten-free if you need it. I'm going to pray for us again when I finish praying. If you'll just hop up, go to whichever station is closest or looks like it has the shortest line if you don't want to stand around too long. Get the cup, get the bread, bring it back to the seat. We'll take it together. Um, you are welcome to join us if you are a Christian. You don't need to be a member of our church. You are welcome at, at, to Christ's table if you're a follower of Christ. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, then please don't participate. Scripture says this is only for those who've accepted Jesus' offer. And if you haven't accepted Jesus' offer, then today's a good day. All that we've talked about, it's available always, every day for everyone. God says, I don't want anyone to be lost. I want everyone to turn to me and live. The gift is there if you want it. 
If you just tell him, yes, Lord, Jesus, I, I believe this. I believe you died for me. I believe your father raised you from the dead. Then come take communion with us. You, you, you have been adopted as a son as well. So again, let me pray for us when I'm done praying. Get up and take the elements. Thank you, Lord. It's always what we say here. Thank you. You did not have to do this. And we remind ourselves of that every week as well. Um, you could have chosen justice, but you didn't. You chose mercy. We could not come to you. So you came to us. Thank you. But we know. Abraham had no idea, I don't think, what it would cost you to save him. But we know exactly what it cost you. It cost you your life. Thank you. We're so, so grateful. Lord, we pray exactly what you said should happen would happen. We would be reminded. We would do this and remember you. And so we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.